Mud Stories, Episode 23. Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. Unbelief after a while became a habit for me. It was kind of my default. Stepping out of unbelief was ironically scarier for me than staying in in that position. Whatever it is that you know, whatever has become familiar is just less scary than the unknown. So the unknown for me was the possibility of believing in God and even even admitting to myself that there is a possibility was too frightening and too out of control, I guess, for me to consider for a long time. Hi, my name is Jackie Watkins, your host, and you're listening to Mud Stories, a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments, hope to make it through your mud, and encouragement for you to know that you are not alone. Hey friends, welcome back to the Mud Stories podcast. Today I'm talking with Michelle DeRussia, writer, author, speaker, and Massachusetts native who relocated to the Great Plains of Nebraska in 2001, where she discovered grasshoppers the size of Cornish hens and God. Michelle writes about finding and keeping faith in the everyday at michelderussia.com and is the mom of two bug-loving boys, Noah and Rowan, and is married to an English professor named Brad. Michelle struggled in the wilderness of unbelief for two decades, unwilling to commit to a God who didn't fit her need for concrete black and white answers. And it was only when she finally admitted her unbelief that she became aware of how God had long ago begun the slow process of bringing her back to Him. She vividly describes her journey in her book, Spiritual Misfit, a memoir of uneasy faith, and has just recently released her second book entitled 50 Women Every Christian Should Know, Learning from Heroines of the Faith. In this episode, Michelle shares her childhood experience with church, how she stayed away from church and God for over 20 years, and how she struggled with faith for so long, having more questions than answers. Michelle describes how hitting rock bottom was the perfect view from which to look for God, and she also describes the awkward experience of having so many firsts, first attending church, first buying a Bible, first mingling with believers, and the challenge of sorting through a whole new culture in the Christian faith. From her triple type A personality, she vividly describes the discomfort of not having life all mapped out, but also shares the beauty she's discovered in a God who loves us no matter what and waits as long as it takes for us to learn how his grace is always enough every single time. Michelle shares with wit and transparency, and I just know that every single one of you will identify with even just one portion of her story, which she tells with such candor and charm. And I just loved chatting with her, and I think you're going to love it too. So without further delay, enjoy. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to the Mud Stories podcast. I'm so thrilled for you to join me today. Thanks, Jackie. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited too. And I have to tell you, I've been a fan of your writing for quite some time. In fact, I remember, um, I think it was four years ago when I attended the Relevant Blogging Conference, which is now called the Illum Conference. Um, I'd only been blogging for three months, but I recognized you right away because I think I had found your blog through a link up that had been happening during that time when we were all counting a thousand gifts. And I think I recognized your blog from there. And I I was so nervous to say hi, but I finally got up enough courage and I tracked you down and said hello. And I'm just so glad I did. 
I am so glad you did too. I totally remember that. And I was just feeling so nervous and insecure and, and just overwhelmed at that conference because it was sort of my first um, writing, Christian writing, blogging, social media conference, and I didn't quite know what to do with myself. So I was so grateful when you introduced yourself and I ended up not feeling quite as lost and alone. So thank you. Oh, well, and don't you have a, one of your sons who has red hair? Does one yes. Them, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I think that's why I remembered you because my husband is like a strawberry blonde and all his family has red hair. I just have a special spot in my heart for people who have red hair. And I, I know I want out of all my kids, not one of them got red hair. I was so disappointed. <laughs> well, I know it's so funny. It kind of comes out of nowhere. I think they say it skips a generation because yeah. neither my husband nor I have red hair. But I think my husband Brad's, I think it was his grandfather or maybe even his great grandfather. I don't we don't know where it came from. He just popped out and had red hair right from the get go. And <laughs> it was kind of one of those things I thought it would disappear, you know, as it uh, as he got older, but oh no, still redhead. I love it. And it's just so rare. I mean, even in labor and delivery, I'm just present at a ton of births, but it's just so rare to see a redhead born. It's really it's really special. So yeah, yay. Funny. Good. Well, Michelle, your story is a muddy trek for sure. <laughs> for sure. A muddy trek through unbelief toward finding God. And it's, it's one of skepticism and cynicism and just so much doubt. I'd love it if you just take us back to where it all started, how you grew up and share with us all that led you there. Yeah, it is a money story. I've come to I've come to embrace it more than I have in the past because um yeah, there's quite a lot of grit in there. But I was raised Catholic, born and raised back in Massachusetts. I live in Nebraska now, which is another story in and of itself. <laughs> um but yeah, I grew up in New England and my whole extended family is Irish Catholic and I just did not fit particularly well with Catholicism. Um, For some reason, as a kid, I just ingested a lot of the um, more of a negative message. And I'm totally not blaming the Catholic Church or the priests or anybody. It was just the what I heard and what I was drawn to was kind of the scarier stuff, you know? So I was kind of fixated on sin and punishment and hell and guilt. And, you know, it just, um, it just wasn't a, a good, it wasn't a good message for me to absorb at a young age. And it was kind of compounded by the fact that when I was very young, um, I stole a necklace right out of my classmate's desk in in the classroom. And of course, once I did that, I mean, it was like seconds after I stole this necklace and I was really, really young. I immediately was just terrified because I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to burn in hell. I just committed a mortal <laughs> sin. You know, I broke one of the 10 commandments. <laughs> I wasn't get any worse than that. I was just so afraid. I couldn't bring myself to confess my sin and I was afraid to give it back and I couldn't even like confess it in the in the secrecy of the confessional I was just too afraid too terrified I held on to that necklace I'm telling you for years years and I finally threw it out I just chucked it in the trash one day when I was quite a bit older I just, it was almost like I was just burying um, the whole the whole memory of it. But of course, you know, you never forget something like that. So what happened was I just over time, I fell farther and farther away from a relationship with God and and of faith. I just I had so many questions and I didn't feel like I could ever ask those questions. They were hard questions, mm-hmm. you know, and my family just, we just didn't talk about religion and faith very much. You know, even though my parents were, you know, they're pretty devoted Catholics, my mom especially, we just, we didn't, we didn't read the Bible. We didn't pray together as a family. Religion just was separate, you know, Mm -hmm. it kind of stayed in the church. And I didn't feel like I had a place that I could really be honest about my misgivings and, and my questions. And so what happened was I just I sort of turned the other direction. I just ran away and and I stayed away from the church and from God for 20 years. 
I, it took me a long time to even admit to myself that I was essentially an unbeliever. I just repressed the whole conversation. I wouldn't even go there. Um, ironically, it was when I first finally admitted to myself that I thought that I didn't believe in God. That was when the turning back toward God started to happen, although I didn't realize it at the time. And that doesn't even really make sense. But from my perspective, I think you have to be authentic and real and truthful with your whole self before you can even start healing process. You know what I mean? If I was just pretending I didn't have a problem, then there is no place for that healing and that transformation to begin. Absolutely. And I think there's probably a lot of people who either are listening themselves or know of someone in their life who maybe has had an unfortunate experience with church growing up, you know, whether it be Catholic or Protestant. I think there are some um, just individual churches specifically, you know, it might not necessarily be a denomination or Catholicism versus Protestantism, but maybe the particular place they became more of a noticer in that place of all of those things, because I, I certainly wouldn't say that all Catholic churches, you know, portray that, would you? No, 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 no. I mean, my whole extended family, like I said, is still very uh, much uh, devoted Catholics. And I have come to a place of understanding through all these years that it was not a particularly a problem with the Catholic Church. It was just how I absorbed some of what I was hearing. Um, so it was really, yeah. it was really me and where I was. And But I think you're not alone. I mean, I think there are a lot of people who respond that way for whatever lack of maybe explanation or elaboration of some of the more reassuring aspects of faith. And mm-hmm. it could be that there are a lot of people listening who either or have experienced that or know someone in their life who really was turned away from God or chose unbelief because it was just too confusing or frightening or scary or unrealistic for them to really absorb. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I've since since I have started telling this story on my blog and elsewhere, I have uh, connected and communicated with so many people who have, in some ways, a really similar story, but across all denominations and all religious and spiritual and faith experiences. So it's definitely not limited to one particular denomination. People have struggled and um, had questions, you know, in different places and no matter where they are. So I think it's... pretty commonly universal. Yeah. And there's hope. That's what we're here to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Now, you talked about being maybe in a little bit of denial or just choosing to shelve the whole issue of God and really just move on with life. You you know, were living in New England and then some events happened that moved you to Nebraska. Can you share about that and, and what led you more toward facing your unbelief head on? Yeah. So... While I was still living in New England, I met the man who would become my husband, Brad, and he, ironically, I think God is very um, clever like this, Brad was a very faithful, (laughs) is a very faithful person, and even um, has a degree in divinity studies. So yeah, the non-believer meets uh, (laughs) her future husband who has a divinity degree, you know, which is kind of funny. Nice. I know. So, and Brad loved to dig into deep questions. He always wanted to talk about, you know, spiritual stuff and faith stuff. And I was always like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't go there. I don't talk about that stuff. And I, I didn't tell him the reasons why I would just shut down the conversation immediately. So it's kind of a miracle that he married me anyway. You know, here's this guy who, (laughs) who likes to talk about deep things and he's, you know, loves this woman who's like, yeah, I'm not interested in deep things. So kind of shocked that he continued to go to move forward with that relationship, but he did. Um, so we got married and then he landed a job. He's an English professor. And so he landed a job at a college out here in Nebraska. And I was eight, eight and a half months pregnant at the time that we moved halfway across the country, which I have to say is not the ideal time to you, move. You wouldn't recommend that. 
No, I would totally not recommend it. Like super uncomfortable jostling across the country in a (laughs) (laughs) U-Haul when I'm pregnant. But what happened was when I got to Nebraska and settled in and we had our baby and Brad went off to work, I found myself completely unmoored. So everything that I had previously All the ways that I had previously defined myself, my job, my family, my, you know, my home, my geographic location, um, my friends, everything was gone. And I just had this completely new life with no friends and a brand new baby and, and no family. And I was in this really this foreign landscape, which to me was very different uh, than New England. You know, it felt very, you know, the Midwest is just very open sky, big landscape. And I felt sort of overwhelmed by that. And so basically what happened is I kind of had like kind of a midlife crisis. It was a pre, I wasn't even midlife, but it's pre midlife crisis Um, (laughs) because I just, I didn't even know myself anymore. I had lost, I had lost my whole identity. And I think when that happens, a lot of times it's like a rock bottom moment, you know, and you realize that you can't depend on yourself or, or all of the things that you have normally turned to, to define yourself. I just realized that all of that was just ephemeral. And sometimes hitting rock bottom is an awesome preparation for us to be able to see God. I mean, mm-hmm. to, to get us to a place where we have a perspective that we need to look for him. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I just, I felt so alone and, um, overwhelmed. So what'd you do? Um, well, you know, I didn't do anything for a long time. I did what, what, what I typically do, which is I tried to solve the problem myself, you know? (laughs) So I like, you know, tried to take yoga classes and just do different things. And I got a part-time job, which helped a little because that helped, um, you know, establish a community of, of people and, and like-minded people that I could connect with. But what happened was, when several, it was actually a few years passed and we had another baby. And then Brad and I talked at one point about how we wanted to find a church where our kids could sort of find a spiritual home, you know, a faith home, because it was really important to Brad. He, you know, had a a strong foundation faith. He was raised Lutheran and, and he, he wanted our kids to have that. And I did too, because the last thing I wanted was for my kids to end up a spiritual disaster like me, because I just knew (laughs) it's no fun, you know? So like, at least let's give them a chance. And so I agreed with Brad. And so we went to look for a church and that's how I sort of got back into church again after this long hiatus. I, I started going just because we were bringing our kids and we were getting them into Sunday school. And and so I was just there because they were there. And that's true for so many people. I think, I think the statistics show that that's one of the highest rates of people returning to faith is the birth of a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because I think you you come to this realization that, oh, wow, I've been, I've been kind of lost all these years. And I don't think, you know, I want my kids to be in this position. And plus, you feel if you're like me, you feel totally unqualified to even begin to give your your kids any sort of faith foundation. I mean, Brad would have been qualified to do that. But we just we just felt like, okay, <laughs> we need to find a church with some skilled people who can help our children know God. Right. And so I'm curious, as an unbeliever entering church, you know, you're kind of there, but you're maybe half-heartedly there. You're there for your kids, maybe not necessarily because you feel compelled that you need it. What did you encounter there? Was there a certain... Uh, I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of cliche, you know, Christianese conversation that happens in Bible studies and in church circles. What was your experience with that? And how did that impact you as you were moving forward? Well, initially, I recognized right away, almost from the very first church service I attended, I heard what to me was an unfamiliar message. And it may very well have been that I was just now finally primed to hear this message. But what I heard 
from the preacher was this continuing message of, and this focus on love and grace, just over and over again, it seems so obvious to me that the church was focusing on love and grace. And I even said to my husband one day, one of the very first times we came out of church and into the church parking lot, and I said, what is it about Lutherans? All they talk about is love and grace. It was just, (laughs) you know, and he kind of laughed because it was just, it was a new, it was a brand new message for me, which is not to say that that message was not, um, you know, being discussed in my Catholic church in my childhood. It's just, that was not the message that I heard, or maybe was not primed to hear at that time. But suddenly... I was ready. And so that was really refreshing. I find that refreshing, Mm -hmm. too, because I think a lot of people, when they think about going to church, when they really don't have a religious faith or persuasion, it's a scary place to go. You know, it's always like, well, what's what goes on behind those doors? You know, what do they talk about? What do they do? And there could be a lot of misconceptions about how Christians behave, especially if people have encountered, you know, hypocritical Uh, Christians who really aren't living out that kind of love and grace that you were hearing about. Mm -hmm. So God was so good to me. He led me right to a church that was such a good fit for me. I mean, and I, it's still the same church that we go to all these years later now. And I just, it's just such a, um, service oriented church, you know, that really does focus on um, loving our community and loving each other. And that that message I heard about love and grace is still very much the thread that runs through the services even now. So I just feel like, gosh, I lucked out in, <laughs> in landing at the right church at the right time, you know. What would be your advice to someone if maybe they haven't been to church in a long time, but they've been thinking about, hmm, you know, that might be good for me, or maybe, you know, we have young kids and I'd like to pursue that. What would your advice be about how to find a place yeah. to try? Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's hard. And we, we tried... A couple other churches. So we did do a little bit of that church shopping before we found this place that we seem to fit a little bit better. So I would say don't be afraid to explore um, a number of different churches, you know, small and big and, um, you know, churches of different denominations even. Um, One of the first churches that we visited was really, really small. And I wasn't ready for that because even though the people were so welcoming and so friendly, I wanted a place where I could blend in and not be noticed. I didn't want people coming up to me and knowing who I was because I was very much on the fringe. Awkward, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, super awkward. Like, what am I going to say? Oh, yeah, Yeah. I don't really believe in God, but yet here I am sitting on your doorstep. So (laughs) I did not want to have that conversation. So I figured in a big church, um, I would be less likely to have to have, you know, real one-on-one connection with people. And so that's the way it was with, for, for me for a while. I just totally just blended into the background for years until I was ready to step out and make some connections with people. And how did those one-on-one connections that you eventually pursued propel you forward in your faith journey? Well, I, you know, I joined a small group a few years after we joined our church. And and that was something I will admit straight up, I was reluctant to do a sort of... Um, As many of us of, are. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I sort of got, um, I got involved in it just on a whim because I had been talking to one of my pastors and she said, oh, you should join a small group. And, and I said, I was just making small talk. I said, oh yeah, that sounds great. Like totally not intending ever to join a small group. And sure enough, the next day, I get an invitation in my email from a small group (laughs) member, you know, saying, hey, Pastor Sarah said you wanted to join a small group. I was like, oh, great. Great. So (laughs) I was reluctant. But, you know, what happens, I think, in a lot of those um, more intimate communities is that you get to know the people and and you just... um, I don't know. You just, you, you see that you have more in common mm-hmm. than, than you don't, you know what I mean? It just, I was with a group of people who were willing to ask questions like I was and willing to hear my questions and not judge me for them. Yes. So as you got more involved with people in these smaller communities, 
Was the conversation awkward or difficult or did you find camaraderie there or a safe place? Was it scary? Speak a little bit to that. I'd say all of the above for <laughs> sure. Um, there were certainly awkward moments because I just didn't have the faith foundation, you know, the religious foundation. So for example, I didn't even own a Bible. So I had to go out and buy my first Bible at Barnes and Noble, which in and of itself <laughs> was just <laughs> overwhelming and awkward, you know? And I was all self-conscious, like, oh my gosh, I'm in the Christian section of the bookstore. And what if someone sees me here? Oh. I felt super awkward about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, people were, were, everybody is at a sort of different place on their spiritual journey, you know? And so some people were just very comfortable and flipping through the Bible and, you know, saying, oh, let's turn to Exodus. And I'm thinking, well, where in the world where is, is that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I literally had no idea what, what Testament Exodus was in. And that's how totally out of my comfort zone I was. Um, and yeah, I think sometimes I, I would tend to, as I got more comfortable, I would tend to ask questions that maybe unnerved people a little bit. Mm -hmm. but, but yet, for the most part, I'd say people were very, very gracious and accommodating of, you know, sort of once they kind of got to know who, who I was, they were compassionate and, and understanding and empathetic and sort of helped me hobble along <laughs> on my journey, you know? And honestly, I think some of the questions that I asked ultimately helped them yeah. dig more deeply into their faith and, and really maybe help them toward a richer relationship with God too. It definitely worked both ways. Well, I love how, um, how you've described yourself as a triple type A personality, kind of like a OCD nightmare. <laughs> I I just, yeah. it's so funny you put it that way. I'm, I tend to be a type A person too. I could so relate to that. But you, I love how you describe being that self-reliant person, really wanting to maintain control. And yet sometimes in our journey of faith, it really is about relinquishing that control. And so I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about how that adhering to extreme structure and the pursuit of trying to strive and accomplish and control really is a false sense of security and how you really dealt with that. Hmm, I think I'm still dealing with it, honestly. <laughs> this is going to be like a lifelong journey for me, this um, understanding of trust and surrender and how it sort of goes against my my nature, you know? Um, I am triple type A. That's what my husband calls me all the time because he's <laughs> like triple type B. So um, I do like everything, all my ducks in a row and, and everything to be mapped out and structured and I like to know what's going to happen next. And I mean, I think that's why moving to Nebraska and having sort of the bottom fall out was looking back a turning point, although I didn't know it at the time, but that's what that season was a complete loss of control. Um, and yeah. I think when you're in that, that moment, you have a sort of a gut understanding of having to rely on and turn to God, maybe for the first time in your life, you yeah. know? And so this, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a lesson that I have to keep relearning. Um, gosh, sometimes I think I'm just like spiritually slow, you know, like, wow, I haven't learned this lesson yet. Um, it's two <laughs> steps forward, one step yeah. back. And I'm right now I'm in a season of having to think about trust and surrender again, because I'm just kind of at a crossroads in my professional life where the way forward is not, it's not very clear. The path is not totally mapped out. And mm -hmm. I'll be honest, it's hard, yeah. you know, it's hard to, to really, trust at the at the very deepest level. Um, it doesn't doesn't come naturally to me. And I think though, when you're in those seasons, they as hard as they are for me anyway, they they tend to actually grow my faith more or bring me closer to God. You know, when everything's going great and everything seems like 
it's in my control, I'm less reliant on God and I'm even less inclined to, you know, my prayer life is maybe sort of on the surface, but when things are a lot more challenging, I'm like, I'm in the Bible and, you know, my prayer life is like really strong. I am reaching out to God. I am, you know, asking him for help. And there's definitely a strength and connection there. So maybe there's a, a gift in that. I'm sure there is. And you described 20 years of having unbelief and not really mm-hmm. in those hard times, in those times of uncertainty going or pursuing God or faith. I'm wondering if um, those years that you struggled with belief, how in some ways unbelief was easier. Wh- what was the significance of you asking instead of why should I believe in God? You began to ask, why not? Well, hmm, it's a good question. I mean, is unbelief in some ways more of a habit, maybe easier, requiring less of us? Or what would you say to that? Well, I was I was just going to say exactly that. Unbelief after a while became a habit for me. It was kind of my default. You know, I and like I said, I refuse to I refuse to step out of that. I just stepping out of unbelief was ironically scarier for me than staying in in that position, which Hmm. I don't know, it's sort of convoluted backwards thinking. But I guess, you know, you just whatever, whatever it is that, you know, whatever has become familiar is just um, less scary than the unknown. So the unknown for me was the possibility of believing in God and even even admitting to myself that there is a possibility was too frightening and too out of control, I guess, for me to consider for a long time. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. Yes. It's hard. You know, it's like, this is where we get into like the deep sort of almost philosophical questions. (laughs) But I think they're real questions that people ask themselves maybe in those deeper reflective moments, because, you know, there are so many people who believe in God in a God is out there kind of way, but haven't really experienced God in an up close and personal way for a myriad of reasons. And so what I love so much about your story is that you are championing the journey there, the pathway there for you sharing your story is helping others find a way that could be possible for them to find God, too, in a more close and personal way. And Mm -hmm. um, I love that. And you talked about, you know, going back to church, as scary as it was, and even if it was not for the motive of your own heart, but for your child's, um, you found love and grace being championed so much there. And I think when we become Christians, especially if we're adults, when that happens, Christians in the sense of really um, pursuing a close relationship with God, where you do turn to him in trial and trouble and like you were just describing, mm-hmm. I think it's um, sometimes disconcerting to us when we finally do face our unbelief and we surrender, and yet we don't find ourselves immediately changed, becoming these picture perfect, all my problems are solved kind of people living a life that seems, you know, to ride off into the sunset with no problems. Right. And um, I know that that can sometimes be disappointing. How did the surprising message of grace sneak up on you? And how was grace sometimes more scary to you than just being able to check off a list of right things to do. I mean, you talk, you tell a lot of stories in your book about your children and throwing Cheez-Its and other such <laughs> mishaps. <laughs> I'm wondering, t- talk to us about grace and, and, and how we're not immediately changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think when I finally realized that I had accepted God and sort of had become a believer, I imagined that my whole life and my whole self would be 
almost instantly transformed. I think I think in the book I even call it like the faith makeover machine, you know, <laughs> like I'm just going to be this brand new sparkling good Christian person and and I was really dismayed to realize that I was essentially the same flawed broken person with the same um making this pretty much the same mistakes and I found that really just disappointing and unnerving. Um, and so I started to think about and and dig into the concept of grace a little bit more. And grace was something that took me a long time to wrap my head around. I It was not a concept that I was familiar with from my child. I mean, I literally thought grace was like what, you know, the prayer that you said before a meal. And in my family, we only said grace once a year on Thanksgiving. I don't even know why that was, but so that was grace to me, like the prayer we said once a year. And it just was mind boggling to realize that, you know, even when I had a mommy meltdown moment and threw Cheez-Its at my kid, true story, um, that God forgave me and loved me, forgave me even before I even did it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like loved me even before I turned into a, I had a, a terrible mother moment and then loved <laughs> before me before you same. threw those cheeses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. I know it was, it was a tantrum. It was a mother tantrum. I'm not proud of it, but kind of makes a funny story now and is a great point in way in a way to illustrate grace, you know, and and my kids still talk about that time mommy threw Cheez-Its at Rowan, who is was my um is my youngest son. And so yeah, we laugh about it now. But it was um a way for me to sort of begin to understand that God loved me before I threw the Cheez-Its and he loved me exactly the same after I mm-hmm. had the terrible mothering moment. Um, and forgave me and, and that we were still gonna step forward. You know, he just acknowledged, made a mistake, asked forgiveness, step forward and know that, you know, you're still not perfect and things are still going to happen, but you know, you're, you're still walking with God and, and trying to, trying to live a transformed life. It's never going to be perfect this side of heaven, right? I mean, right, right. That's And that's what know. grace is all about. It's an undeserved gift. I mean, mm-hmm. I think you talk about it being a limitless mulligan like in golf, mm-hmm. how you get a do-over, you know? <laughs> yeah. And my husband's a golfer, so I could totally yeah. relate to that cuz I like to go golfing number one to spend time with him like, mm-hmm. you know, undistracted and to drive the cart. I love driving the cart. Oh, that's what I do too. <laughs> I don't even golf. I just drive the cart. I go with my husband and he golfs and I drive the cart. And I then try, we just, like, but we oh. have, yeah, we hang out. We just have a date, right? Yeah. I like the, the courses that are like three hole courses, those five hole ones that are really long. Oh, those are hard. Yeah. 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 But, um, we have a limit, right? Yeah. We have a limit. We, we, um, <laughs> I, one of my favorite courses I golfed, we digress, but one of my favorite <laughs> courses that I golfed with him was in Lake Tahoe and it's a, it's an exec, it's called an executive course. And so every hole was only a three par and it was so great. It was beautiful and short and fun. Anyway. Yeah, golf, go, the, the yeah, the golf analogy of of grace being a limitless mulligan what, rang so true to me uh, mm-hmm. after after t- years of driving golf carts with my husband. So I loved yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, so like the mulligan, right? Is you is like a do over. Now it's not it's not legit really in, in, in golf. You're not actually supposed to take a mulligan, but lots of golfers do. So especially when they're golfing with their wives. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Totally. So if you like totally bomb your, your drive, um, you can say, okay, mulligan, you know, and you can take a do over. And so when my husband Brad was telling me about a mulligan, I was like, Oh my gosh, that's like grace. You know, I was like, I just saw this analogy really clearly in my head. Like, but God, just gives us these limitless mulligans. We right. get this chance to do it over and over and over and to maybe with God's help and grace, do it just a little bit better the next time around. Right. And his his heart toward us is 
loving. His heart toward us is cheering us on instead of waiting for us to mess up and just punish us. You know, I I think so many times we get that performance-based view of God and Mm -hmm. it's really not what's reflected in scripture, you know, Mm -hmm. and remembering that grace is going to cover and we get limitless mulligans. I just love that. So Mm -hmm. yeah. I wonder, though, what you would say to someone who maybe has turned toward God, who has faced their unbelief, who has realized that they want to pursue God, but they're feeling like a failure, you know, feeling like they're not able to change into being a good enough Christian. There's a quote I loved that you had in there by um, Maria Rilke. Oh, yeah. he He's a poet, actually. He kind of has a girl's name, strangely, but he's a, a poet, um, Rainier Maria Rilke. That's okay. right. Okay. And it says, be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves, like locked rooms and like books that are now written in a very foreign tongue. Do not now seek the answers which cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. And I thought that Mm -hmm. quote was just so amazing. What advice would you give to someone who's trying to live into that answer, trying to pursue a faith that feels like nothing's happening? Maybe they don't have the qualities they desire. They're frustrated by not feeling good enough. Mm-hmm. What would you say to them today? I would say be kind and gentle to yourself and and love yourself. Um, this sounds a little cheesy, but mm-hmm. love yourself like God loves you because mm-hmm. I guess he's not mapping our our journey and our quote unquote accomplishments out on a yardstick like we tend to do. He has a much, much bigger picture, and and we just only see a little bit of that picture at a time. It's usually not, it's usually not enough for for us to really see how it's all going to work out, and to see sometimes that we are making progress, you know. And so I just say, just be gentle and kind to mm-hmm. yourself. And and look backwards sometimes. I mean, I know a lot of times we say like, you know, don't live in the past. And I'm not really saying live in the past, but I think sometimes you can't see spiritual progress being made in the moment. Mm-hmm. But if you look back, you can see these little, you know, baby steps that have happened along the way. You know, right now I look at my life and I think, gosh, I'm still a total spiritual disaster. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I look back and I think, well, okay, so some progress has been made, you know. So I think sometimes it helps to like take just a slightly broader look at where you've been um, and and give yourself grace because God certainly, certainly is lavishing his, his grace on you. Yeah. And do you think that it's helpful? Sometimes we feel like a fake if we're trying to pretend or act our way into change. Do you think it's helpful to just go through the motions anyway? I mean, does that help? I think it does. And I, there is a quote, and I don't know it off the top of my head, something that C.S. Lewis said about exactly that. Like sometimes we have to go through the motions even when our heart is not totally in it, but that in practicing sort of the mechanisms of faith and spirituality, we sort of grow into it, you know, and we come to to live it. You know, it's almost like, when you're developing, what do they say about when you're developing a new good habit? It takes like three weeks to establish a new good habit. And in the beginning, when you're trying to establish the foundation for that, you're totally just like faking it, you know, know? you're just going through the motion until it becomes, until you become invested in it, until it becomes, you know, more than just this new thing that you're doing, but it becomes your life. It becomes um, woven into who you are. And I think sometimes, you know, spiritual and faith practices work the same way. And I know that was true for me. Yeah. And do you have any resources that you would recommend to people if they're struggling with 
you're really wrestling with their unbelief and their pursuit of God. Any books or resources? There was one that I read early on by Lee Strobel. I think it was called uh, The Case for Faith. Okay. He also wrote a companion book, and I'm not sure which one came first, but he wrote another one called The Case for Christ. And I read The Case for Faith very early on uh, in my spiritual journey. And I don't even know how I came across that. I think it must have just been browsing yeah. in a bookstore. And then I want to say... I love Lee Strobel. He was an atheist who set out, incidentally, to prove that God didn't wasn't real, that it wasn't, it was all a farce. And he interviews mm-hmm. all these, don't you like his book because it's like an interview style? It's very mm-hmm. engaging, very, yeah, yeah, like no, a fast turner. Awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he ends up, he ends up turning toward God because of all the research he did. It's Yeah. No, it's that, great. I, it made a huge impact on me. I love that you brought that one up. Yeah. Oh, good, good, good. Okay. There's a couple others. Um, Timothy Keller, The Reason for God is another one. And then another that I read very early on was a book called Amazing Grace, Vocabulary, The Vocabulary of Faith by Kathleen Norris. Um, and that is just the way, just what it sounds. It, she goes through, I, I don't know if it's alphabetical, but anyway, like this whole, um, it's like this dictionary of faith. But more than that, I mean, that makes it sound really boring, but she'll take terms like grace or salvation or lots of like kind of Christianese terms that maybe we've heard before, but don't even really know what they mean. And she digs into them and, you know, pulls out their nuances. And I just found that book absolutely fascinating. Love it. Yeah. Well, Michelle, it's been such a delight talking to you today. I'm so thankful you joined us. Can you tell us if people want to follow up with you or read more from you? Where can they find you online and track you down? Yeah, I am. I blog at michelderusha.com. And uh, I'm on Twitter and Facebook and Pinterest and, you know, all those <laughs> social media places. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm out there and, and love to connect with um, your listeners and, and readers and whatnot. So that would be great. And I can't highly recommend enough your book called Spiritual Misfit, A Memoir of Uneasy Faith. And I'm telling you guys, if you want to laugh out loud and get deeply reflective the next moment, I would say Michelle's book is just that. It's an afternoon companion that you can't go wrong with. And she just tells her story with such wit and insight. I loved it. So again, Spiritual Misfit, A Memoir of Uneasy Faith. And you came out with another book this very same year called 50 Women Every Christian Should Know. Yeah, that's right. I know. Two books in one year. So I went for like six or seven years uh, as a writer with not being able to land any book contract at all. And then two in one year. So that's kind of how it goes. Okay. Well, I know we're running out of time, but I would love, Mm -hmm. love, love it. I know that book is 50 vignettes of different heroines of our faith. And I'm Mm -hmm. wondering if you might, maybe some of them I'm guessing might have a mud story. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you could pick one and share with us a little tidbit of a sampling of what that book is about. Well, I, I I would have to say every one of the women in this book have a mud story because they're all human and we are all flawed uh, equally. But okay. So let me say Dorothy Sayers, um, maybe not everybody has heard of her. I had not heard of her before I started writing this book. She was a mystery writer and she is just She's so funny because she is no nonsense, uh, no fuss, bare bones, tell it like it is. I loved her so much because she literally said, basically, I don't know how I got into, you know, writing this Bible stuff because that was not my intention. (laughs) You know, she was just very forthright about the fact that, you know, she really set out to be a mystery writer and then somehow ended up being uh, named a Christian writer. And she she was. She wrote uh, a lot of Christian drama and nonfiction, but she just really struggled with wearing that hat. Um, but what I love about her is that God used her no-nonsense approach because what she was able to do was write about Jesus in a way that helped people who were maybe— a little 
on the fringe, a little nervous about religion and church, she made him accessible and, mm-hmm. and not like Bible-y, you know, she mm-hmm. always, she said like, I don't, I don't talk Bible. And I love that about her because <laughs> she was just really real, you know, and just, she loved Jesus. She wanted people to, to know him and she wanted to make him accessible to people. And she was successful at that, but not your typical Christian in a lot of ways. And I love that about her. I love that. Dorothy Sayers was her name. Yeah. S-A-Y-E-R-S, Dorothy Sayers. One more last question, if I may, Okay. before we go, you talked a lot about interacting with other Christians when you first went back to church and how you encountered some people who maybe made you feel a little awkward or uncomfortable. I'm wondering if you can give us advice if we have someone in our life that maybe doesn't know God or isn't ready, maybe they're in that season of unbelief and they don't really maybe even realize they need God or that they would even want God. What advice would you give us so we could not be that Martha Stewart on Jesus that you met? You know, that (laughs) probably if people haven't read your book, they're not going to understand what I meant by that. Maybe you can explain that. But what advice would you give as we interact with others? How can we be a catalyst toward them moving to faith instead of a churchy cliched hindrance Mm. to them? Yeah, that's a good question. The the Martha Stewart on Jesus is just a reference to a funny story in the book about uh, a neighbor of mine, sweet, sweet, lovely woman, um, very uh, religious person. Um, And for Halloween, she personally tagged all of her um, candies with a little message that said, Jesus is the real treat. And so, (laughs) you know, before I had come back to church, I was just like seriously wigged out by that. You know, I was like, really? Like who, you know, I was all judgy and horrible, but (laughs) so it's just a funny story. But I mean, I think the message behind that is sometimes like, when we interact with unchurched or or people who are sort of on the fringe of faith, like Mm -hmm. we want to like talk Bible to them, you know, and it comes from a good, honest, genuine place because we're so excited. A good motivation. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And, you know, we're just so excited about the story of Jesus and, you know, how much God loves us and we want to share that. But what we do is we get all Bible-y and it, it it kind of creeps people out sometimes, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and we use a lot of church language. You know, I, when I first moved to Nebraska, several people asked me if we had found a church family yet. And and that is that is kind of Christianese. And yeah, for somebody you're like, who, what's a church family? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> somebody who has not been in church for 20 years is not going to know what you're talking about if you ask them if they have a church family. You're like, I already have a family. <laughs> Exactly. I was like, I seriously did not know what they were asking me. Like, I did not just did not get the question. And so unfortunately, even though we have the very best intentions, what we do sometimes is inadvertently further alienate people who are already on the fringe because they feel like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even speak the language. Mm -hmm. How am I going to ever fit in? Right. I can't even understand what these people are talking so about. So then they just feel like, well, forget it. It's not for me. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we just have to kind of be careful about that, you know? And I always say, like, you want to bring people to Jesus, then love like Jesus did. You don't even have to say anything, right. honestly. Right. Love the people around you like Jesus did. And that's the message. Oh, Michelle, it was such fun talking to you. I know. I just could talk to you all day. I know. I feel the same way. I do. So glad to share your mud story with everyone. And just my prayer today is, and I'm sure yours too, is my hope is that people would be encouraged, number one, if they are beginning to think about checking out God, you know, to investigating, that they would be encouraged that it's a journey that is possible, hope-filled. And Mm -hmm. if we have those people in our lives who are wrestling with unbelief, that we would be that love and grace that they meet in the flesh, in real life, you know, Mm -hmm. as people. So yes. All right. Well, have an amazing day. Thank you, Jackie. You too. This has been so much fun. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, I'm so thankful to Michelle for joining us today and for all that she shared through her story. 
And you know, today, if you are struggling with unbelief, or maybe you have more questions about God than answers, maybe the mud you've been through or are currently facing makes it really hard for you to believe there is a God out there who really loves you. I know I speak for Michelle when I say that we long to be that safe place for you today. And it's okay to have questions. It's okay to be angry. You need to know also that God's okay with it too. In fact, he loves you so very much that he's initiated a relationship with each and every one of us. And in this Christmas season, this is exactly what we celebrate. Because really all of us, every single one of us messes up. I mean, we all make mistakes. We have things that we've done wrong. And this really is our great problem as human beings because we are separated from God because of our sin. But the awesome thing is God decided to make a way for us to get back to him. Even though we deserve punishment, he gives us mercy And it's almost like we stand before a judge and the judge is saying, you're guilty. And yet Jesus walks into the courtroom and says, I'll take his punishment. Let him go free. Release him from his prison sentence. And all we have to do to take advantage of that offer, all we have to do is say yes. Yes, you may take my punishment for me. And when we do that, we are free. We don't have to have everything all together. We don't have to have our life all cleaned up and out of the mud to say yes to his offer. The awesome thing is Jesus reaches down to rescue us in the middle of our muddy mess. And he says to us, if you say yes, you're free. You're free. And this is the Christmas we celebrate. God choosing to send his son Jesus to earth as a baby to rescue us, to pardon us. This is grace. And it's a gift that he gives that we don't deserve. And I know I speak for Michelle when I say, we are here for you. If you have questions or you just need to sort through some things, feel free to send us an email Jackie at JackieWatkins.com, or I know over at Michelle's site, MichelleDerusha.com, you can contact her there. You can send me a voicemail message, or you can even comment over at the show notes, JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 23. And we'd love nothing more than to share with you about how you can say yes to the offer Jesus makes to each and every one of us, how really you can say yes to God. And we long for you to know that you today are not alone. So as always, you can find all the show notes and links to everything mentioned in this episode over at mudstories.com or jackiewatkins.com forward slash episode 23. And I'm so grateful, really so super thankful that you took time out of your busy day to join me here. And again, I'd also be so grateful if you would leave a rating or review over at iTunes. Just even one sentence would help so much to get this show in front of more people who need to be encouraged too. And you can do that by going to JackieWatkins.com forward slash iTunes. Also, don't forget that if you're interested in supporting this podcast, you can receive today a free audiobook. All you have to do is go over to mudstoriesbook.com and sign up there for a free 30-day trial. You'll get a free audiobook to download today, and in exchange for your trial, I will get a small commission that will go to help support the cost of this podcast. And again, you can cancel that free trial at any time, so really, essentially, it will cost you nothing to really help and support this podcast, and I'd be so, so appreciative if you would do that. And so in this Christmas season, what is it that really is our response to a God who offers such a generous offer to rescue us, to pardon us, to free us? Really, it is a heart that gives thanks. And so today, no matter what we're facing, where we've been, or what lies ahead, 
May we all find a grateful song to sing. Have a beautiful day. Never in you, feels a press upon my mind A pull of shame that leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the blame And I never will find a way out And then I feel you next to me You lift my head to see Your strong arm reaches to me Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. I never any mother fails to press upon my mind. That leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the blame And I never will find a way out And then I feel you next to me You lift my head to see Your strong arm reaches to me Your mercy floods my tired soul as you Say